And while there, I met this person who my father told me, go back, have fun, just don't bring back anything, you know, that I might regret. Welcome everybody to episode 19 of the Assyrian podcast. My name is Adessa and I am your host for this week's episode. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Yvette Haddad, who is the president of the Betnahan Assyrian Heritage Center here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Yvette earned her doctorate at the University of British Columbia, looking at the immunology behind cancer. She has since moved to Hamilton, where she helped create the Betnahan Assyrian Heritage Center, which we'll get to learn more about. We'll also get to hear about her PhD research and her role as a mother raising a bicultural family of four adorable children, Shimsha, Nami, Enlil, and Yunorta, who are proudly Assyrian and Japanese. She is a woman who is passionate in everything she takes on, and I think you'll really enjoy listening to her. We at the Assyrian Podcast love what we do. The hours we put into this are all worthwhile because we know these stories are important and deserve to be heard. If you also find value in what it is that we're doing, reach out to us and let us know by emailing us at assyrianpodcast at gmail.com, liking us on social media, and most importantly, subscribe and review the podcast. We love engaging with you all and we'd love to continue growing this. And you can help us out by telling your friends to visit us on our website, assyrianpodcast.com, and follow the links to subscribe using an iPhone or Android. Thank you for being a part of our worldwide community of Assyrian podcast listeners. And finally, a thank you to our sponsor, John Oshana from HomeSmart. Whether you are thinking about purchasing or selling your home, either in Arizona or California, Contact John Oshana Real Estate Professional at 209-968-9519 on Facebook at John Oshana Realtor or at John.Oshana on Instagram. Now, without further ado, Dr. Yvette Haddad. So Yvette, you are a woman that wears many hats, takes on many roles, and has many responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And we'll get a chance to talk about that later on in the episode. But before we get there, you haven't always lived in Hamilton, is that correct? That's right. So talk to us a little bit about where you were born and all of the different places that you have lived before now settling into Hamilton. So I was born in Baghdad. And we were there for, I was there for about three years, almost four years. And we left from there to Amsterdam to stay with my uncle and his family until our papers came through. We were trying to get to Canada. And we were, I think I was turning four when we were in Holland. So I had my fourth birthday there. And I remember that because my uncle bought me a little bride doll, so I will never forget that. <laughs> and also, Amsterdam has the best white chocolate, in case you didn't know. The, I didn't I know still that. taste it. I can still taste it. And then we came here when I was just turning five, and my sister was a little kid too. And that was interesting for us because when the plane was landing in Toronto 
from Amsterdam. I re just remember it was dark. And we, I think we came in January or February. And I remember looking outside the window and saying, what is that to my dad? And he was like, that's Telga, that's snow. And it was mounds, like back in the 80s. I guess we still get lots of snow, but we got a lot of snow. Oh, I heard, heard of those Right? Stories. So I was looking out the window and it was literally like mountains of snow. And I was like, oh my God, I already love this place. Because it snowed in Amsterdam, but it was like how, it, yeah, you just like kick it away and it's done. But so this was the start of my love for this country. I just love being Canadian. I love living here. And I've always lived in Hamilton apart from my forays into Japan for two years where I lived in Osaka teaching English. And then while I was doing my PhD studies, I was living in uh, BC in Vancouver specifically. Nice. And how long were you in BC for? Uh, eight years. Eight years. And did you do your undergrad here in Hamilton? I did my undergrad in St. Catharines, okay. which is just near Niagara Falls. Yeah, about a half hour away. About, or so. yeah, or so. And then my part of a master's in Waterloo, and then my graduate work was in BC. Talk to us a little bit about what your undergrad work was in, and then your master's, and then what followed with your PhD. My undergrad was in bio... Actually, this is an interesting story, I guess, kind of. My, I just remember my father sitting me down in grade 9 and saying to me, when you pick your job, future job, I want you to think of the number of dollar signs behind that, that job. And I was like, okay. And he kept pushing science this, because I already loved science. And I kept gravitating towards film. I mm. wanted to do film. I mm. wanted to direct movies. And he was like, please don't do that. Please, Yvette. But I did. In my first year at Brock, I was actually a film studies major. So that was my goal. And they kept, and things changed because they kept showing us these really boring, artistic films that I just could not understand. And I was like, okay, I don't like this. This is too fluffy for me. So then I went back to science. I was like, let's do science. So undergrad at Brock was biochemistry. I did that throughout, the, throughout my undergrad. Master's was also biochemistry, which I discovered I really didn't like. And so got out of that. And then my graduate work, so my PhD, was in the immunology behind cancer. So it was basically immunology, but with a cancer focus. And what was your dissertation on? It I was, mean, PhD. It, so you have, we all have certain types of cells called natural killer cells. They're, your immune system splits into two kinds, two arms. One is a very ancient arm and it just knows what to do. It protects you right off the bat. The second arm is the adaptive arm. That one, that's your B cells and T cells. And that kind of needs to learn what's dangerous or not dangerous. So these cells, these natural killer cells belong to the ancient arm of your immune response. They're really good at defending you against viruses, against cells that might turn cancerous. So my research was looking into if we know that these cells are important into preventing cancer, why don't they? Why, don't, why do we get cancer? So something must be wrong with these cells. Either they're being turned on too much or off. And so the idea was to look for cells that no one's really looked at before and try to see if there's a relationship between them in kind of regulating the function of these natural killer, these amazing cancer-killing cells. So I was specifically looking at B cells, which I told you belong to the newer, more trained arm, and trying to see if there's an interaction between those two cells. 
And the interesting thing about my research is that the paradigm that's accepted is that the early acting or the very ancient immune cells kind of tell the adaptive immune response how their reaction should be because they're supposed to act fast and furious and, and, you know, first. They're the first ones. What I found was that it's actually the B cells that are responding to something and kind of telling the natural killer cells to turn on. And this hadn't been noticed before and it actually got published. So that was my claim to fame for one paper. And then when we kept trying to dig and find a little bit more, it got a little bit muddy as immunology usually is because it's so complicated. Mm. In order to protect you from what could go wrong inside and what could attack you from outside, your cells have to take on many hats themselves. So that muddies the waters when it comes to immunological research. But it's definitely interesting. I still love it. I can't get enough of it still to this day. Even though I've been out of it for like a couple of years, just put an immunology paper in front of me and I'm done. I can tell that that excites you. And you're able to describe it in a way that for someone like me who isn't well-versed in any of that can make sense of it. So I think that's really awesome too is that you're able to spell it out in layman's terms for anybody to to understand. At some point in this process, you met your husband. Mm -hmm. When did that happen? That happened while I was teaching in Japan. So the reason I went there is because you may or may not know. So we have something called OSAP in Ontario. It's the Ontario Student Assistance Program. And while it is a blessing because it helps students that may not be able to fund their university education, it can also be, back then, it was a curse because you are expected to start paying this off, this loan that you've basically taken from the government in collaboration with the banks. You're supposed to pay that off. And so at the time, you know, you're a new graduate, you can't always find work. So sometimes making those minimum payments is tough. But what I kept hearing is people were going to Asia, like Korea and even parts of Egypt, but especially Japan, and they were making money and paying off their loans in one shot. And I just, I couldn't resist that. And I always had a thing for Osaka. Since I was like a little kid, we had a program called Know Your World. And they had this thing about Osaka and the name was nice. The food looked good. Osaka is an area in... It's a prefecture, which is kind of like our Canadian provinces. It's a part of Japan. And I always wanted to go there. So when I put all these things together, I was like, well, I need money. I I know it's a clean, you know, fairly safe country. I think I'm going there. So I was there. And then while there, I met this person who my father told me, go back, have fun. Just don't bring back anything you know, that I might regret. That's what he told me. And I was like, okay. And actually, actually, when I did come home and I told, I brought him a thing of whiskey because apparently Japan, I didn't know, Japan's famous for its whiskey. So good to know. It is. I have some actually. (laughs) So he, I gave it to him and he goes, Brati, I love this, but couldn't you have thought of, you know, only this? Why did you bring back that and that was my poor sushi my poor husband to be so it was rough it was hard you know it's a culture that a lot of Assyrians might not be familiar with it seems very alien to us but it, you know love is love and we we meshed and it was I knew that he was the one that I wanted to spend my life with and I didn't care if he wasn't Assyrian but but 
it, I did care that he understood my background, understood our history, and when understanding our history could understand why it was so important to me. I'm very Umtaneta, I've always been, since I remember. And that's take it or leave it. If you don't like it, or you want me to modify it, or you want me to reduce it, I don't need you. See the door, <laughs> see yourself out, because we will always clash. So it worked out, and I don't know. For, I, I wouldn't have expected to go to Japan. I was just going to make money. I wasn't going to like marry off, but <laughs> that's how it worked out, and it's I'm happy. And you touched on something that I think is really important where you said that you let Itsushi know from the get-go that you this was very important to you, mm -hmm. that being a Syrian was an identity of yours that was very important to you and whoever it was that you were going to be with needed to understand that as well and respect right. that. Something I see between the both of you is that you have a mutual respect for both of your cultures mm -hmm. and... That to me, from an outside standpoint, just seems so healthy and one really great way of making a relationship like that work, where it's two people that are coming from two different backgrounds. Is that easy on your end as well? Yeah, I, I think I think for the most part, the things that I love about Atsushi, and I'm, I, I know it's dangerous to paint everybody in a whole culture with the same brush and extrapolate one person's characteristics to an entire nation of people. But I think what I love about Atsushi is, and his, and his love for his own culture is that they are proud and they have pride, inner pride and dignity, and they are honest, you know, hardworking, loyal. And it's all the things that I, I love about me and our culture. I don't know if I can say that. It we just, have that too. We do have yeah. that. And there's a respect for elders and care for the young. Like the parents do whatever they can for their young. And I'm sure that's for every nation. Like I'm sure a lot of people are like that. But that's the person I fell in love with. So when I look at the person I'm, in, I'm sharing my life with, I'm going to pick out the good things that I can build upon to make our the foundations of our home life the best we can, especially for our children. And I think he's done the same with with us. He always says, he always says, I'm surrounded by crazy Assyrians. But I know <laughs> deep down, deep down, I think he loves it. I think he never heard of Assyrian people before. Like he met me and and our relationship has introduced his entire home base, his family, his friends, his co-workers when we were living there to this culture that may, they maybe thought was dead, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's alive and very much alive. I understand my parents, when we were growing up, they would tell us we would prefer you marry a Syrian. We want to keep our culture strong and we don't want to dilute or you know go any lower than we already have. Our language is lost, our country's lost. We want to keep those things strong. But for us, for our relationship, that mutual respect and care for each other's culture just pushes, like I said, it's almost like I'm not preaching to the already converted. I'm telling someone about Assyrians who's never heard about Assyrians. Mm -hmm. And so that's great. We get more people knowing and saying our name and that's always been important. I don't want to change my name. Yeah. I'm Assyrian. Yeah. We've been around for so long. I think we deserve the respect to be called that. Another observation that I've noticed in Hamilton that I think is unique that I haven't really seen, I guess, as much in other Assyrian communities is that there is 
a level of openness. And, and Michael Uesh had talked about this when I had interviewed him as well, of people welcoming partners who are not Assyrian with open arms and having this sort of integrated or easier integration into the community. And I don't know, maybe you can speak on that, whether it actually is easy or I maybe I just look at it from an outside perspective. It's like he's a treasurer of the church <laughs> in Hamilton. He is a board member. He's a board CCR. member of the Center for Canadian Assyrian Relations. So he's super into the community, mm-hmm. maybe more so than me, when, than other <laughs> than other Assyrians. Yes. So, I mean, did that come easy? Were people hesitant? Is Hamilton and Assyrian Hamiltons just generally more welcoming? That's a really interesting observation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, was it easy? So when you uh, when you two had married and he started coming to Assyrian functions, was there any barrier with that? No. I don't think so. I think, I mean, I'm speaking for him, but I've never heard, I know he always, he he always says like, I'm trying to learn Assyrian just to put people at ease, especially Mm. working in the church Mm. where you have, you know, some people coming in and they see, they think he's a government worker sometimes. (laughs) Now they've gotten to understand like who he is. They trust him. But in the beginning, you know, that some of the other church committee members would be like, yeah, just give your money to Itsushi. And they were like, who is Itsushi? <laughs> Who's this Chinese guy sitting here? And he'd be like, I'm not Chinese. <laughs> so that was his biggest thing. But I don't, I really have never encountered any like opposition to him working in the church or, church or helping. I mean, some people in our friend group of friends and in this in this community have said they want to nominate him to a Syrian of the year. You should so, be. <laughs> right? Because he's and I mean if that's if that's just even saying that must make him feel so welcome. So I guess you're I, I've never noticed, but I guess maybe I've never noticed because it was never an issue for us here. Mm. That's that's beautiful to see. You two have raised four children. Mm-hmm. And four children and three of them with the Syrian names? Three of them with full-on Assyrian full names. Name. Nami is the only one, but he Nami means wave, like tsunami yeah. in Japanese. But he refers to himself as Nami Naramsen. Ah. So he gets that Assyrian name in there because that's his second name. So the other the deal was after my daughter was born, I would name the first one and it would be Assyrian and then the second name would Japanese. And then the second child, Itsushi, could name the first one. And then the second name would be Assyrian. And then after that, I was like, okay, no more. Now they're all Assyrian. Whatever comes after this, it's sorry, Itsushi, but I have to take the reins here. And he was like, I don't care. (laughs) Whatever, I'm happy. But the reason I did that is because I wanted people, when they hear their names, to go, oh, that's interesting. What's that mean? And it starts the conversation of, oh, that's Assyrian, actually. Oh, you don't know what Assyrian is? Here, let me educate you. When you hear that, when someone says, Shimsha, that's such an interesting name, and she describes her name, I'm just standing in the background going, yeah, because that's exactly what I wanted. I don't want it to be a name that you could just gloss over, especially her last name's Haddad Urata. Maybe Haddad, they'll think she's Lebanese. Urata, they'll think she's Japanese. And while that's beautiful and amazing, I've lost my chance of promoting 
our, our people and our nation and the love that I have for it. So they had to, from then on in, have Assyrian first names. Names really tell a story. Yes. And I think that's so beautiful Thank that you. every time somebody asks that, it starts the conversation. Mm -hmm. You also said that the last name is a combination of both of your names. Mm -hmm. Now, that's something that you don't see very often within Assyrians. That's true. Is it something that's common within Japanese culture? Um, no, it was important for me. It's my last name. It's just who I am. I can't imagine being anything else. And maybe that's a bit narcissistic. But when I see my kids, I mean, I worked hard to have those kids. I want to see my name reflected in their last name. <laughs> Maybe I am a narcissist in a, in a small way, but that's okay. I don't think so. I mean, many <laughs> other cultures, like I do know that within the Mexican culture that they carry on both names and they oh, hyphenate them. So it is common within other cultures. So I, I love it because your kids have these really all together, first and last name, a really strong name. And it comes with a story and they have a story to tell every time they introduce themselves that's nice. to somebody. I like that. Well, yeah, That's thanks, what I thanks to, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks to the both of you. It worked. Absolutely. <laughs> you had said that you are an umtaneta. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Both my parents are. Both my mother and father, Gina and Adam, are both very, they work hard for their people. They love who they are. They refer to themselves as Assyrians, no matter which country they're coming from. They're Assyrian first. And that's how they raised us without... Like, they weren't, like, hardcore, like, on our head. That was just how it was in our house. So that's how we were raised. But I think coming as an immigrant to this country, and, I mean, a country of immigrants. I'm an immigrant and a country of immigrants. So where we lived, it was every, every country in the world. Every language was spoken. So you had to distinguish yourself while you were trying to understand English and get along with the kids and understand how it works in the school system for example and what how how it is to be a Canadian you are also putting your stake down and saying but I'm a Syrian so it started then and I think it's just carried on to now and I hope it stays that way that has led you to the responsibilities that you carry right now and one of them is being the president of the Bitnahan mm -hmm. Assyrian Heritage Center yeah. here in Hamilton. So how did that start? How did you become president? So it started because your husband, Ashur, <laughs> came up to me one day. I don't even know why. I still have to ask him, like, what made you come up? come up to me. I had registered my kids in the cultural language program that happens every Sunday at the church here in Hamilton. And one day he came up to me, he's like, I want to talk to you about applying for grants. And I was like, okay, fine. So we discussed it and there were, we wanted to take advantage of some of the grants that are available to start some programs here in Hamilton for our community. But when I did my research, it seemed like in order to access those grants, you really do have to have an organized structured group. So like a nonprofit organization. So we founded Beth Nahan, a senior heritage center in 2016. And out of necessity, I became the president. Asher was, is still the vice president. And then that's how it kind of started. The crazy thing about that is I wanted to do something. 
I wanted to work. I would see Axu doing all this amazing stuff, but I would think, you know, I'm too old for Axu. I actually never was in Axu during my university time. I felt weird going in there and going, hey, here comes this like, you know, a whole generation over you guys, but let me help. I didn't know how. And then I kept thinking like, what can I do? What can I do? And then it just fell in my lap. Asha presented, you know, a little crack in the door and I was like, this is it. This is the way. So the whole idea behind Bet Nahran is it's for everybody. It's for anyone of any age. We, you know, it doesn't matter who you are in terms of where your education is, where you sit in your career, how old you are, what church you go to. We don't care. We just want people to work together as a community to help preserve and promote our amazing language, our history, our traditions, our culture, so that for us growing up here in the diaspora, sometimes we feel disconnected to these things. We get a lot of noise from other, you know, I mean, we're living in Canada. We have so many other things going on in terms of cultural things. And, and again, and living in a country of immigrants, we have the lovely, the, the beauty of accessing so many other traditions from so many other cultures. We don't want ours to get drowned out, the noise of our own culture to get drowned out. We want to keep that from a whisper. We want it to be a, you know, a gentle shout. We want people to know who we are and we want to take ownership of all the amazing things that we've contributed to society and that we continue to contribute to history and society here in Canada. And it's very evident it's doing just that in this community here. One of the highlights that Bitnahan Assyrian Heritage Center does is it hosts a Nusadda festival. Mm -hmm. And this year is going to be the third annual. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about how that even came to be. How did a, an idea like Nusadda form into a festival? It came about because we wanted a way to have a community, like before, from what I remember, whenever there was Nusardil, it was in the parking lot of the church. And that was beautiful because that's how it is back home, right? And the kids would bring water guns. They'd have a barbecue. We just wanted to make it a bigger thing and to have it in a place where everybody could get together. It wasn't like you just drop off your kids and go. It could include any church member from any church from you know, it, we didn't, we just wanted it to be a big, huge community event. And then we wanted to also show to the non-Assyrians that live in Hamilton. I mean, we were so lucky here because we have so many different festivals. We got the Greek festival, we got Italia Fest, the Polish festival, and we want our own festival too. So we thought this would be a nice segue into introducing our community here in Hamilton to who we are, especially since a lot of us get tired of being asked, oh, a Syrian, what part of Syria are you from? <laughs> Which might, you know, you might be from Syria, but you're a Syrian. So we wanted to have that educational component in there as well. And I think that was, that's like a nice way to do it. It hits, you kind of get two birds with one stone. You have our community coming together to celebrate one of our historical and traditional festivals, and then the outside non-Assyrian community, you know, being encouraged to come be part of this and understanding who we are, that we're just part of the fabric of this amazing 
cultural landscape that we have here in Canada and and in Hamilton. Yeah, and we have a lot to contribute to the Hamilton we do. community. We do. So it's beautiful that there's a festival like Nusedda that can showcase yeah. exactly who we are to others. This year, it's going to be happening on Sunday, July 8th, Mm -hmm. right? What can people expect at the festival? Our little goal is every year we want it to be a little bit bigger and better than the year before. So we want this to grow. So this year, we've got the music and we've got the water balloon fight, which is one of everybody's favorite parts. It's 15,000 water balloons. And, and it's labeled as Hamilton's biggest is. water balloon fight. So yeah. that's kind of exciting too, it right? Is. For non-Assyrians, they're like, oh wait, yeah, that's cool. I that's want to be cool. a part of that. And it's free. Great food. We're also having, we're kind of upping the cultural aspect of it a bit more this year. And again, that's to introduce non-Assyrians to what Nisevda is, what it means to us historically and right now. It's something that we're trying to protect and preserve in the diaspora. We don't want that tradition to just die off on the side. So more of a cultural aspect this year. We have dancers, we have a reenactment of the history of New Serdil. I think that will be really cool to see. And just fun, fun in the summertime for any aged person. Cool. What are your plans for Bitnahan Assyrian Heritage Center? Like where would you like to see it in five years and 10 years? What would be your ultimate goal? It's changing as we go, especially since we started out kind of off the fly. We've kind of seen where we could take this organization and what it could mean to not only Hamiltonians, but people in Southern Ontario at least, you know. And my hope is that it continues to grow. This is, you never want something to stagnate. You never want it to plateau off. You definitely don't want it to die off. But growth, even if it's slow and incremental growth, I'm fine with that, but I just want growth. And when I mean growth, I'm looking at more people involved, more events, more unique things that are unique to Assyrians that we can share with our own community and and others as well. Right now, I'm just happy to to build our community, to build those, that foundation. You know, Atsushi always says this actually, you don't build a strong foundation by just throwing down a lump of things. Like for example, if you're building a pyramid, you're not just gonna throw down a lump of bricks and say, here it is, this is the pile, it's the pyramid. Everything needs to be slow and thoughtful and placed in place. And the wider your foundation base is, you get higher, right? The wider you build your foundation, you can just climb your pyramid up higher. That's what I kind of imagine for Beth Nahen. We wanna have reach into all kinds of organizations to help them out, to work together. We want to have a situation where Assyrians are proud to call this their own. This is our organization. This is something that represents us. We, we, we understand what it means to us here in Southern Ontario. We can go to them for this, 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 and that. Like a central resource almost for a lot of things that Assyrians may need going forward in the future. Yeah. And those are ambitious goals, but they I are. think <laughs> that I think that Bitnahan is capable to do just that for the community. If I, I'm just gonna ask some random questions <laughs> to you, just say the first thing that comes to mind. Your favorite Assyrian word? Jare. <laughs> it's one I use probably a thousand times a day for everything. The car broke jare. The birds hungry jare. My child hurt his foot. Jade, like literally the pen, jade, the computer, jade. 
it's something I constantly say. And I didn't notice that until somebody, I don't remember where it was, somebody made like a sarcastic remark. And they wrote Jad, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. I That would have been what I would have said. And then I was talking to my mom, and she was like, yeah, you do say Jada a lot. So, so it, that is your favorite word. It's my right. favorite word, without even realizing it. Your favorite Assyrian dish. Ooh, that's girdu. Okay, let's specify here. So I've been having this argument as well. So people call bushala, it looks like bushala is different. Some people say bushala is girdu. No. No. So, so let, let that be known. And let's just be clear <laughs> on that. Bushala is not girdu. No. So bushala, bushala, I think the way we understand bushala is it's like a yogurt yes. stew soup. And it has like lots of green herbs. And it can be made with barley or it can be made with rice. And it's hot. And you make big vats of it usually, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's bushala. And I love that too. Yes. Okay, but yes. But my favorite is girdu. There's nothing like girdu. It's it's a yogurt. It's a thickened yogurt. It's almost like a porridge, I guess it looks like. But it's yogurt and rice. And you cook it slowly over a low heat. And you add salt. And you, you have to take care. You have to keep stirring or it curdles. Which is kind of like bushala too. So I guess I see the confusion. But... Girdu, you eat with tons of melted butter on top of it. Mm-hmm. That's the kicker, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you wait for. Mm-hmm. So when your mom puts a big bowl of this beautiful, glistening white food, and then you take a pound of butter and you just go pow on top of it, and then, I don't know. I, I don't you think life gets better. Than, I you know. made me hungry. <laughs> life doesn't get better than a bowl of girdu with a thing of butter melting forever. And can I just say my favorite part? When, the, when you follow the butter and it makes like rivers. That's my favorite. And I use my spoon to collect the river. Oh my God. I can't stop. To consume it. That's to amazing. consume it. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. Who is a hero of yours, either historically or present day? That's a Syrian. My dad. Absolutely. I don't want to leave my mom out because she's present day, but my dad passed away in 2009. Yeah, thank you. So without being flippant about it, it is my dad. And the reason I looked up to my dad growing up and I continue to just think about him in the choices I make and the things that I do as an Assyrian, as a woman, as a mother. He just was a good guy. He was like, I don't know, he was strong and he was, but he was never afraid to show weakness too. Like he was just a person you wanted to know. I I don't know how else to explain my dad. He loved his people. He loved his people. He would do anything for them. And he worked hard. I mean, he was really educated. His his goal when he was younger was to be a doctor. Mm. But at that time in Iraq, from what he was saying, there was a quota system. So 
only a certain number of Christians could go on to medical school. And I don't know how the quota system worked. I don't know how they filled the quota system. I have no idea. But I know he never made it. He never, even though he had the marks, he couldn't get that over that hurdle. But that didn't stop him. He was also very good with languages. I think he knew like seven different languages. Wow. And he... And he was good with writing, with, he was eloquent, he knew how to express himself. And so he ended up, you know, he got whatever job he could. He also taught English, actually. I didn't know this. He taught English in Saudi Arabia for two years wow. to help pay loans or make money or whatever. And then he went back to Iraq and he was working for, for the Iraqi government, but as a translator so whenever they'd send people to the UN my dad would go and actually I have an interesting story about that so I don't know if you know this but or maybe it's just in our family but when the baby's umbilical cord falls off you're supposed to take it and throw it somewhere and when you throw it in that place that kind of defines that child that how the child will be Oh, I've so, never heard of yeah, I, I, and I've said this to other people, other Assyrians, and I'm like, I've never heard of that. But so my umbilical cord that is thrown at, in Geneva at the UN grounds. So, but because Papa was going there, he was doing work with the government there, like with the Iraqi people that they had, the ambassadors, I guess. And so when he was there, he's like, okay, so he threw my umbilical cord at the UN and so I've always thought one day I'm going to the UN because my umbilical cord is there somewhere and he was just making the best of what life was handing him when he was offered the chance to go I think to Minnesota to study he didn't want to go he wanted to go to Canada because he saw the Prime Minister was Justin Trudeau's father at that time, it was Pierre Trudeau, he had long hair and he disco danced and, he, you know, <laughs> he looked cool. And my dad was like, I love this. This looks free. This looks like open. This looks like the kind of place I want to raise my daughters. I feel safe and liberal and open-minded there. That's where we're going. So that's why we ended up here. I think he would have had a lot more options with his degree if he had if he had gone to Minnesota because they were giving him the chance to do a PhD in English or I don't know what it was. And he said, no, I wanna go to Canada. So this is where we ended up. And coming here, basically his education wasn't counted for at all back then. Your university degree meant nothing for him or my mother. So he had to go back to school and learn something so that he could make a living for his family here. So he is my hero. He he's never he never lamented. He never said, "Oh, what was me? I'm a victim. Look at me." Something was in front of him. Okay, what am I going to do about it? He was a solutions finder and he was also a bridge builder. He wanted to see people from different parts of our community come together and just be happy to be here safe together not worried about what's going to happen when they walk out the door or if they can or cannot go to school and be who they want to be. He loved that and he wanted to see our community flourish and grow and succeed. So he's my hero. I think he's what he's instilled that in me. I think he's instilled that in my brother and my sister as well. I was going to say you're definitely your I think father's so. daughter. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I am. And he, he his saying, it was always the more the merrier. Mm. Papa, what about this? Ah, oh, the more the Mary. Papa, what about this? And I think that's true. So the idea of going back to Atsushi is not a Syrian. 
yeah, it's weird. You know, it's not what we would expect, but the more the merrier. Mm. So without harping on it, the more people that enter into our, I know my, you know, my parent, my mom always used to say, it's better if you marry a Syrian because the culture stays. And she always used to say, you don't dilute yourself. That's true. But the more the merrier means more people know who we are, more people come into our culture, they share our culture with us. It just, it strengthens us. It won't weaken us, it will strengthen us. But as long as you have that other component where you are learning the language, where you're practicing the traditions, where you're keeping alive those cultural things that are unique to us, and where you're also vocal in not letting people erase us slowly for the sake of being politically correct. We are Assyrian. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's the key. That's the end. And I think if you have all those things, it doesn't matter who you're married to and what culture they're from. You just need to continue building who Assyrians are, especially here in Canada. Yeah, and it seems like you, you build a lot of intentionality with everything that you do, that you and Itsushi do, especially with raising your family. Mm -hmm and ensuring that they have that instilled yes. within them. Absolutely. Like I had mentioned in the beginning, like you, you obviously carry on many roles, right? You're mm -hmm. a parent of four children. You work. You are the president of the Betnahan Assyrian Heritage Center. And amongst other responsibilities, a responsibility of a, a, par a, partner, a partner to your husband and, and anything else. I often look at you, like anytime I think I'm busy, I then I'm like, oh my gosh, if I think I'm busy, how the <laughs> heck does Yvette do it? And you do, like how, how do you do it all? Okay, I'm going to be really silly and say it's t really strong tea in the morning, a coffee sometime in the afternoon, and a big glass of wine at night. And this is what gets me through my days. But it, like, and I think that is true, I'm not lying here, but to be serious, I don't notice it. I think if I sat back myself and actually looked at what I'm responsible for in a day, I would probably just walk out the door and say, see, I'm going to Florida. I'll be back in a year. But I don't. I love working. I love making money. I love using my degree. I love being a career-minded person. But I also love being a mom. And I love taking care of my kids. And I love watching them grow and become the people they're going to be in this society and in this world. But I also love being a wife and being a partner and watching him grow, especially as he's an immigrant. So he's an immigrant as an adult. So that's an interesting thing for me to watch as well. And I love Beth Nahan and I love my people and I love living here and I love all of the organizations that are working together to kind of bring pride into who we are. I'm tired, yes, that's true. And I'm sure I'd like a break, like any of us do, but I don't know. I just do it. I just keep going because I think if you sit back and think about it, it's, it's overwhelming. It, it can be overwhelming because it's a responsibility in each and you want to do them all the best. And if you're a bit anal retentive like me, you have a tendency to really want to control like everything to the dot. But I have to learn to let go. I have to learn to trust the people I work with and say they're capable too. And I have to back off and... I know those things about me. You play an excellent role in each role that you, Thank you. you do. It needs to be heard. So thank, you. thank you so much. Thank you.